In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the first Sunday of the Epiphany, the season where we think about Jesus and the Lord making himself known to us, manifesting himself to us, uh, revealing himself to us. In the comics, when they talk about having an epiphany, there's the light bulb, right, that goes on over the character's head. They've uh, thought of something new, they've learned something, or uh, acknowledged something that they hadn't known before. And if you uh, will, I think that the Christian experience and our knowledge of the human person is uh, completely contradictory to what John Locke would say in Tabula Rasa, in his uh, theory that we're born as a blank slate. Uh, we are not born as blank slates. We are born in the image of God. We're born with an ability to perceive the world and the natural law. We are born with uh, right and wrong written upon our hearts, and we acknowledge it when we see it. And we know that there is revelation given, that there is supernatural revelation given to people where we can perceive something and know something, understand something that we haven't taken in with our senses. And this, I believe, is the truth that we are contemplating during the season of Epiphany. We're contemplating God revealing himself and making himself known to us. And we see that in the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is telling us uh, that the Lord is going to come and tell us something about himself. And what the prophet Isaiah sees is the truth of the Holy Trinity. The truth of God as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not something that's evolved. It's not something that's grown over time. It's a truth that was revealed in Genesis and in all of the prophets. And so we see the Holy Trinity revealed here very clearly in stark clarity uh, by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 42, verse 1. We see all three persons of the Holy Trinity clearly revealed in that very first verse. I is the Father speaking, right? I have put my spirit. The Father is saying that he has a spirit, and this isn't um, a portion. His spirit isn't a thing that he's going to portion out. It isn't an object that he's going to give to people. But it's his own spirit, his own active person. He is giving his spirit to who? To his son, right? Upon him. And he will go forth and make uh, known justice to the nations. And so we have the Father speaking about the spirit and him putting his spirit upon his son. And so we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealed here uh, very clearly. And we see the purpose by which the Father is giving his spirit to the Son. Why is he doing that? He's doing that for the Son to make himself known to the world. He's revealing something about his character. He's revealing his righteousness and his justice. And it has to be revealed to us in this way because when we think about justice and righteousness, we think about violence. We think about aggression. It's almost impossible for us to think about justice being dispensed, about um, the rule of law being established without some kind of aggression or violence behind it, right? How is the rule of law going to be laid down and enforced? And yet the Lord is revealing that his justice does not come in that way. It comes in this meek and mild form of the Son. You remember that when he's brought before that court of Pilate and Herod at the Sanhedrin, he doesn't speak a word on his behalf. He doesn't uh, try to argue for himself. He doesn't try to um, break out an army and to uh, defend himself with violence, but he um, clearly proclaims 
uh, the salvation of the Lord and that that salvation comes through meekness and through mourning and through poverty of spirit, as he says in the Beatitudes. So we are hearing about the coming of the Son and the kind of way that he is making himself known with this um, mildness and with this meekness. He will not cry aloud. He will not lift up his voice. Um, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. A bruised reed he will not break. This is a gentleness that's almost uh, not understandable. If you've ever seen a reed that had a break in it, it falls over. There's nothing to support it. And so to think that we could come into contact with a reed that's been bruised and not break it is a kind of gentleness that really surpasses understanding. And yet this is the way that Christ comes and reveals himself to us. He reveals himself with the gentleness of a lover or of a parent. We see down in verse uh, 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. When we see that image of taking one by the hand, that is the image of the lover. It's the image of the husband and wife. It's the image of, of, of support and of care and of nurturing. And it's the image of a parent to a child, right? We take them by the hand in order to support them, to protect them, to care and to nurture for them. And so this is the relationship that the Lord would have with us. This is the coming of the Son to enter into that, that lover relationship, that parent-child relationship, that caring-nurturing relationship. That's how the Lord would reveal himself to us, with intimacy and with day-to-day -day living as a part of his family. He is adopting us into his family, bringing us into his family living. And so that, that theme of adoption, of an adopted parent bringing a child into the home is central to our understanding of how it is that we connect with God, how he makes himself known to us. And so we are adopted into the family of God through the power of the Holy Spirit is revealed in the scriptures. And we see it so powerfully illustrated for us in the baptism of Jesus here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. It's very important that we understand uh, that Jesus' baptism is a sign for us, it's evidence for us, it's a path for us, and yet it's totally distinct from our baptism. We know that we are baptized, we are washed by water, our sins are washed away because we have need of becoming clean, because we have sin, because we've fallen short and we have to be washed and to receive the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus doesn't know that. And John says as much, right? He says, I can't baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says it has to be done to be fulfilled. This is our first understanding of that parent-child relationship we have with the Father. The Father has established the world. He's established natural law. He's shown us that sin has consequences, that there are real-life consequences to our misdeeds. And, and he shows us, he reveals it to us. And then when he comes, he says, uh, so surprisingly that he's not going to punish us. He's not going to, to chastise us. He is going to make things new for us. He's going to do everything that we couldn't do. He's going to be the child that we could never be. And so he says, I'm going to fulfill all things. So we see Jesus be circumcised, even though he doesn't need to show that sign. We see him be baptized, even though he doesn't need to be cleansed from sin. And while we are washed by the waters of baptism, because Christ is divine, because he is God, he has joined his divinity to our humanity to make it new, to make our humanity new. And he hasn't just joined himself to our humanity, but he's joined himself to all creation. God has joined his divinity 
to all of creation to remake it and to make it new. So when Jesus in his divinity descends in the waters of baptism, he's taking all of creation, he's taking all of humanity with him down into the waters and he's bringing them back up. So our humanity and all of creation is being washed and brought up. So Christ has remade, he has recreated and made holy all the waters of the world. Now all of the water of creation has been restored and made new. And for us to, to get some kind of a grasp or understanding of this, the Lord reveals His Holy Spirit. Again, not because Christ needed the Holy Spirit, because He and the Spirit are one, but because we needed that to see and to know that the Holy Spirit is, is one with Him and is part of this work of recreation. And so the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ in the figure of a dove. And when we see that figure of the dove, our minds immediately should go to Noah and the ark. We should immediately be seeing that dove and thinking, oh, that's like the dove that appears to Noah. And we would think about what happens in Noah's ark, what, what's taking place. God is saying there's sin in the world, I'm going to wash it with flooding, and then I'm going to bring my servant Noah right out of the ark, out of this safe place, and I'm going to tell him to go out by this dove, this sign that I have made the earth new, that I have recreated it and restored it. And so that is the image that's being given to us, the message that's being given to us. When we come out of the waters of baptism, we're coming out of this ark, the church, this safe place, and we're being sent out to let the world know it has been made new. God is recreating, He's restoring the world to be as it was always supposed to be. And so now we have the Son washing the waters, the Spirit telling us, go forth and proclaim this to all the world. And finally we hear the voice of the Father. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He has done everything according to my will. And so now we see in this brief passage of the baptism, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Lord revealing Himself as Trinity, revealing His purpose to restore and to wash and to remake all of mankind, and to send us out of this ark of the church the same way that he sent Noah and his family. And if we want a picture of what that looks like in daily living, we have no better place to turn than to the Acts of the Apostles in this beautiful story of Peter and Cornelius. And you know if you've been to Jesus the Good Shepherd very long that I could just go on and on about Peter and Cornelius, right? This is a beautiful story of the Lord making himself known to the Gentiles. So what's required of this? First of all, Cornelius has received a vision from God. The Lord has already revealed himself to Cornelius. And so this is what we have to understand first and foremost. The Lord does not need us to reveal him to the world. He's doing that. Right now as we speak, the Lord is revealing himself to people all around the world in all conditions of life. He's showing himself miraculously, supernaturally to people. We know that for generations now in the Muslim community, they're receiving visions of Christ in their dreams and going to their Christian neighbors and saying, what is this that I saw? We've seen people at Jesus the Good Shepherd come and say, I've had visions and I've had dreams. Who is this Jesus? How do I know about him? So we know that the Lord is revealing himself. His desire is to be with his people. We don't need to do that. Cornelius, in response to this, right, he keeps a, a, a holy life, right, he reads the scriptures, he gives his tithes, his alms, he leads a devout life, 
He hasn't become a Jew because of what that would mean in circumcision, how that would separate him from his family and probably preclude him from serving in the army, his means of providing for his family. But in all other things, he's maintained holiness. Now Peter, also worshiping the Lord, praying and fasting, is open to the Lord coming to him in a vision, and so the Lord reveals himself to Cornelius and Peter separately, and sends Peter to Cornelius's house. Now, there is no way that Peter should be going to Cornelius's house. Number one, Cornelius is a Gentile, right? Peter couldn't go in because he couldn't receive hospitality. Hospitality in the ancient world is in, is, is is definite. It's it's it, it can't be left out, right? You can't invite somebody into your home with goodwill and not offer them something to eat and drink. You can't do it. But Peter couldn't eat or drink, right? Because Cornelius is not keeping a, a kosher home. He's not keeping the purity laws. He would have plates that had had pork on them and a kitchen that had been eating pork and, and all kinds of other things, perhaps sacrificed to idols in the market. There's no way that Peter could eat food in, in Cornelius' home. He couldn't enter in. And Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's a, an enemy of the Jewish people, an enemy of, of temple worship, right? The Romans had placed the battalion on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem, in the city of King David, and stationed it right next to the Holy Temple. These soldiers, these, these defecating, uh, uh, defiling Gentiles are destroying the holiness of the, of the Temple. They're enemies, and so there's no way for Peter to go into his home, and yet the Lord tells him to do it, and he goes. Now, the Lord had already revealed himself to Cornelius, so what's left for Peter to do? Peter simply has to tell the story of salvation. He simply says what he knows, what he saw. He just tells him what had happened to him. And he's able to do that because of his dedication and prayer and the reading of Scripture, that he could simply say, this is what I know. And when he does that, the Holy Spirit descends upon the entire house. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, what would prevent them from being baptized? They've already received the Spirit of God. The Lord is revealing himself to his people right now. What's required of us is to be so immersed in Scripture through daily reading so responding to him that we are in daily prayer, ready to hear that we are to go and simply say, this is what the Lord has done for me. This is how he has provided for me, healed me, encouraged me, accepted me, changed me. To simply tell our story. To reveal him as he has revealed himself to us. May we be ready to manifest God to those to whom he would send. Amen.